This is Cole Jedi Cole Houston, and this is the premiere episode of a brand new show on the Jedi Cole universe, All the Toys. <laughs> All the Toys. All the Toys. And of course, that is the sound of my esteemed co host and uh, pretty much the other half of the Jedi Cole universe, <laughs> or often not, none other than Andrew Farmer of Hey Kids Comics. That's me! That's me! That's that's you. Can I develop a new uh, character, like a, a new persona for this show? Oh, just go ahead. As long as you run with it nonstop. Vampires. <laughs> hey, speaking of, this is a toy show. Not this is apropos. Of not that I found out that that's a character that Andy Daly does outside of comedy. Bang Bang Cole. So we're gonna have to do some research on finding ah. that, finding that character. Absolutely. So we are here because we're taking a bit of a break from being uh, just all comics all the time. Sure. Uh, the JCU has become a bit of uh, more like Hey Kids Comics uh, for years now. And Andy, uh, and, and I concur here, we've, we have talked about comics for over 350 issues. <laughs> yes. Hundreds and hundreds of hours, well over 350, more, well over 400 hours of us and guests talking about all kinds of aspects of comics. And as you ideally know by now, the uh, over at Deep Ellum on Air, I'm sorry, Dallas on Air, I've been Deep Ellum on Air for six years. <laughs> uh, over at Dallas on Air, I produce a show out of the studio in downtown Dallas, a live streaming video program called Isle, A-I-S-L-E, Isle of Toys, that is on the third Sundays of every month from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Central. And that show was developed as a challenge to myself to talk about all manner of ty and types of toys, even ones I'm not personally familiar with, invested in, the types of things I don't talk about on a regular basis myself. Sure. And Andy was talking about, you know, he and I very often talk about toys on this show. And uh, that's to be one of our fair, favorite subtopics. Not on the show. Just when. Yeah. Matter of fact, I would say that uh, our conversations predominantly are about toys. Pretty much, yeah. When we're not. We really probably do because I'm not an active or as active a collector as once I was of comic books we largely do talk about toys more often than we talk about comics because right. i'm just i am a very active uh toy collector i just recently installed the home of my uh, jurassic world collection that has just been growing by leaps and bounds over the last year i got a little late start on the whole damn thing and you know what started with one or two has become I think I have 40 some odd now. Yeah, you said you installed 37 of them. Like yeah. uh, your Dale Chihuly over there <laughs> blowing glass art. <laughs> Goddamn Dale Chihuly. Oh, hell, here's another one I forgot to put up there. Uh, Don't get me started on that hack, Dale Chihuly, world famous glass artist. <laughs> <laughs> but there's at least 43 to that need to be put up. There's some that are going to be hung from the ceiling because they can fly. But, uh, you know, there are all kinds of toys and uh, 
toy lines that I've personally collected over the years, uh, most of which I still have. Right. Uh, there's a handful I sold off years ago. But uh, by and large, if I get into something, I start off small and go all in. <laughs> yes, we have that problem, and it, it is a problem. <laughs> yes, it, it really is. It, it seems almost inevitable that, uh, you know, I just feel like I'm on the toy aisle with Thanos. It is. Right, what did it cost? No. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Oh my God, that was even more appropriate. It really uh, is. The Thanos analogy to the toy collection can go on and on. Oh yeah, you just get on there on the toy aisle and, and snap. It just... <laughs> like, literally snap. Uh, so, you know, to that end, Andy and I are talking about why don't we develop a new toy-based podcast and we'll produce it on alternate weeks with, as we recently announced, with Hey Kids Comics. So it'll be Hey Kids Comics one week and All the Toys next week. Yeah. And it's the All the Toys week. This is, this is the All the Toys week. And I think it allows us a little more time to do a little more research on the topics and, and really kind of figure out the angles we want to come at uh, both shows from. Um, just a little, you know, peek behind the curtain as far as that goes, like, you know, it does take a lot of time and effort to really not so much to get the the research done, but then to dig through it and find the the kind of kooky and weird angles to come at things from. And uh, and, and this is going to really allow that to, to flourish, I think. So I'm excited for this, Cole. I'm really excited for it. Wonderful, wonderful. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's the angle at which we're going to take an Isle of Toys is generally me and a guest uh, almost every time I've managed to find a guest. And we're just talking about a specific toy line or a specific toy genre or theme. And I wanted to do something with this show that's more akin to what we do with Hey Kids Comics, and that's be very, uh, I guess you would say, uh, subject-driven. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thematic. Yeah, uh, shamanistic. That's right. Well, we're not necessarily talking about a toy line, but we're talking about the nature of toy, certain toy lines and right. the the nature of toy collecting and the, the, you know, a little smattering of history, a little smattering of just conjecture, a little smattering of the kind of dick jokes you're accustomed to. <laughs> what we stuff. do best, baby. That's I, right. I was thinking about how to position this, you know, coming up on the first issue of this show, and I really think – that much like comics, and you and I have talked about this many times, it's what I find interesting is people's relationship with comics and people's relationship with collectibles and toys. Um, you know, why do they, why do you, why do you gravitate towards a certain <laughs> thing? Why do you, Cole, why do you want every Jurassic Park Lost World dinosaur you can get your I, hands on. Yeah, it, it's insane. And, and why do they keep making more and making it that much harder? <laughs> I, uh, I actually got a text the other day from Andy yes. uh, prior to the show that said, quote, toys need to slow down. It's capital slow down because they just announced three more figures in the DC multiverse line. And I'm just like, guys, just everybody needs, especially right now. And not on this issue, but in one of the upcoming issues, I would really like to get into why 
I feel like right now we're seeing more toy lines come out with more new waves and new action figures than I think we've I've ever seen in my life. It's just an escalation. It's almost an arms race escalation right now. Um, but yeah, I really feel like you're right. I, there's <laughs> just uh, an insane volume every day of lines, and yeah, and right now, of course, we're hot and heavy in the seat in one of the three or four seasons of announcements. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was a day when we all waited anxiously for the arrival of the New York City Toy Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was the period where that was the point where you would finally be getting the big news. And you'd get like if you were a Marvel fan, you'd get like three waves of Marvel figures and maybe some fan stuff. And then you would get, you know, your Star Wars stuff and there would be maybe three waves of Star Wars stuff and maybe some fan channel and, you know, if you're a Transformers fan, you'd get like two waves of Transformers. You know, and now it just it really feels like every week <laughs> there's a new announcement, either a new wave, you know, three or four things that are coming to the fan channel, whether it's an exclusive to, you know, Walgreens or wherever it is, you know, and you're getting that week over week, you know, they're alternating Star Wars, Marvel, DC, G.I. Joe, and just and just constantly this is rolling thing that you I can't keep up with as a collector. I'm trying. I don't know how. I'm out of my yes, and, and I think that this is an illustration of the level to which the toy manufacturing industry has changed its attitudes. Uh, by way of example, as a lifelong Star Wars collector for as long as you could collect Star Wars toys, so effectively from Christmas of 77 forward, <laughs> my, you know, I have hundreds and hundreds of Star Wars toys now. Quite literally, not everything they ever made, because not everything always appealed to me. But there, you know, there's so much out there. And for the longest, uh, under Kenner, um, the, the contemporary 90s Kenner, uh, and especially after Hasbro purchased them, the drum was beaten repeatedly that toys are for kids and we're a toy company and we're making products for children. Right. And then the best example of the shift in attitudes, to my way of thinking, came when there were ad campaigns for Star Wars action figures. Uh, one of the best and most telling was when they would have a, a character like a, a cantina creature, for example, that they would, you know, showcase in an ad that said something like, you know, point zero 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 seven seconds on screen coming <laughs> soon, you know, to your collection, something along those lines. And to me, that always spoke volumes of where we had arrived or at least where the industry had arrived, where Hasbro especially had arrived. And it was the greatest recognition of conceptually that we recognize the adult collector market because yeah. you're not, that ad was not for children. That ad was for adults. <laughs> sure. No, That's absolutely. Not the kids weren't thrilled about the odd cantina creature, but for the most part, it's the adult collector that want 
ice cream maker man. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's unless you had just a weird kid that was super into, yeah. uh, so into Will Rowhood that, uh, <laughs> you, you couldn't imagine life without him. Uh, it, it was just finally acknowledgement. <laughs> that's right. You, you, you got to, you always a bridesmaid when it comes to ice cream maker, man, any ice cream related toy, frankly, um, the, oh yeah, know. ice cream soldier, ice cream maker, man. Um, the, there's no shortage. Uh, apparently, one of the most popular characters in toys today is uh, chocolate saucer ice cream. It, <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's a vinyl collectible uh, toy. It's very hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, I just I just keep pooping those things out. Well, uh, the, they they have a they, you know Marvel Legends has a venomized series coming out the the series after that is uh ice creamized oh okay so yeah yeah well god help us if we get the emoji uh marvel legends emoji line <laughs> i i kind of want to know what what would i i, I would want to be in the room when that was pitched 100 percent. i would want to know what you were what is oh. it just all poop yeah, I mean, when you're talking about that uh, being pitched, I just imagine a room full of monkeys. <laughs> it would actually be pinched. It wouldn't be pitched. Oh. Yeah. Well, pinched and pitched. You know. <laughs> As one does. As, you know how you know how it does. Um, uh, so you asked me a question coming into this. Um, as it pertains to the show, and I and I want to know your answer to this uh, in the first issue, which is, when did toys become a collectible to you? When did they you? I think you phrased it. How did you phrase it? You. Uh... Oh, basically the uh, the point where they're no longer the when they reside in the on shelves on like bookshelves and display cases rather than in the toy box right when they jumped out of the toy box for you and and what's what is your answer to that because you strike me as somebody like me that the the line has forever been blurred there and i'm curious to know when that when that jump happened for that's an interesting uh thing because i i really feel like that that it was the Star Wars, um, you know, in the uh, the era of Star Wars, uh, because by then I am kind of confronted with um, being twelve years old, sure, and getting the collecting bug to the point of, uh, you know, this was going to be huge we you know we're starting this line with 12 action figures we uh and then eight more less than a year later right there's uh it it just uh i think it was at that point because i was older granted we would take them out and throw them in the swimming pool until i nearly <laughs> lost my blue snaggletooth um yeah sure we would you know, use the kitchen island as a, a nice landing pad. Uh, or, you know, if we bought new toys when we were in Dallas, we would literally, you know, take over Dad's surgery in his veterinary clinic. <laughs> but then we'd always done that. 
Yeah, I remember uh, assembling my Millennium Falcon in the in the surgery. That's a really cool memory. <laughs> yeah, isn't that neat? You know, this big steel surgical surgical steel uh, table for uh, where many a uh, uh, <laughs> Pat was spayed or neutered. Right. Uh, Got Bob Barkered on that table. Bob Barker, yeah, they, they Barkered it up, um, and yeah, here I was, uh, you know, getting this thing, uh, you know, getting into this new toy line, but they were then displayed proudly in my bedroom. Right, right. And then you know, early on, they came out with what was known as sort of the twelve-inch scale, which ranged anywhere from about like six or seven inches up to about 18 inches tall. Uh, yeah, if you're Chewbacca or IG-88, which I never found in the stores. But now I own one. It's not complete, but at least I've got him. Um, you know, this was a point where by Empire, I'm, uh, what, uh, getting closer to the age of being able to drive myself. Sure. Instead of driving my dad crazy, but... <laughs> <laughs> and um so we you know this this has a, a i think that was for me the point where i began to kind of transition from toy to collectible yet they they still maintained the appeal as toys uh, a friend of mine and i would often uh could often be seen uh pulling selected star wars figures to represent our comic characters as we sort of ad-libbed our own storylines. Sure. Hey, that's we created our own superheroes based on and villains based on the figures representing them. But I think that that's that's really interesting in and of itself, right? Because the more I think about the more I think about Hey Kids comics and the more I think about what eventually we want this show to be uh, toys are in, in my mind, and I, I, I'm working through this this thought process as I have been for the past, you know, three or four months. Is toys are iconography of a mythology that we've been given throughout kind of the the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I think that's a really interesting concept because we've talked on Hey Kids Comics about how you know. Comics are the the next evolution of a of an oral tradition of delivering mythology, you know, where where you're creating this uh, this world, these gods, these these things, and the and the toys that represent those things don't just represent like the Captain America that I have on the shelf up there doesn't just represent Captain America; it represents everything that I believe that Captain America stands for. And I think that's really, I think a really interesting concept. Yes. Well, also the the that kind of synergy that we now have, where you know it, you can historically look back and see that there were playthings based on the life we, right? Uh, be it uh, tractors or animals or other things made from wood or metal or, or the earliest funk ass plastics and. Uh, <laughs> Up to you know very contemporary um, methods of creating toys, and, and in fact you can see um, that there were literally uh, 
figurines of very uh, successful, popular gladiatorial uh, combatants. Sure. You know, if you made a name for yourself, there might be somebody might carving little figurines of you, you know, for the kids. You know, because you want your kids to. It was the earliest WWE uh, toy lines. <laughs> High stakes WWE. Yeah, right. the toyest business was. Uh... <laughs> Toys business. Metaloc- Metalocrates was out there just <laughs> carving up some toys. That's right. Uh, Hasbro the the elder. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Spinnacus uh, Masterus. But you know, you you look back, you see things like, you know, successful lines of farm implement toys, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, no end of vehicular toys of every stripe. So there's there's always been a a tremendous uh, volume of toys that represent the things that exist in our world, in our lives. And then come the comic books, the movies, the television shows. And every now and again, someone would say, hey, um, can I give you money for the right to produce toys that are these characters and these situations and these vehicles? And in other cases, it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, cowboys and Indians or uh, army guys are real popular in, as little figurines. How cool would it be if you had a cowboy and Indians or uh, army guys that you could actually dress? Yeah. Different uniforms of different services and, and give them a, a like a mess kit and a bayonet and a, a pistol, a rifle, a tackle box uh, you know a, a bandolier grenades and you know the whole nine yards you can outfit these guys with a full field kit with everything in it and then on the other side of the gender specific marketing coin you have you know the doll the baby doll and then later the adult this could be you doll right um, and you know despite the, the very fashionista sense of the earliest Barbies, part of the concept was that Barbie could be anything and do anything. Right, for sure, yeah. And even in the old uh, 60s G.I. Joes, before the, uh, you know, anti-war sentiment turned G.I. Joe more into a man of action than a man of war, uh, they, uh, you had G.I. Nurse, mm-hmm. which reminds me of, in the like the nineties or two thousands when the, the big GI Joes were coming back and there were uh was announcement of the first female character, which I believe was a helicopter pilot or something like that. Uh but I remember that announcement uh and I was telling Catherine, Well, I wonder if they're gonna be bring back GI nurse and she says, If there's a GI nurse, that would be GI pissed. <laughs> By the way, on the topic of GI Joe, um now that we have a new line of, of G.I. Joes that have come out, which I won't even get started into the Target thing, because we'll be here all day. I oh, yeah. am... On Target. <laughs> about that in a future episode. I am uh, really upset that in the first wave of G.I. Joes that came out, in, initially, in the very yeah. beginning, you had a medic by the name of Doc. Okay, yeah. 
there has been no dock yet in the in the six and three and six and three quarter inch line. And I realized that Doc might not be the most exciting character, but damn it, there is a there is a nostalgia and a history around Doc. He deserves to be in the first in the first waves that, of this that come out as much as a Snake Eyes or a or a Destro. So give me a Doc, guys. That's what I'm saying. I think part of the problem you're going to have with the new GI Joe line and and for you know, G.I. Joe fans are going, um, especially may not be familiar with this. And this is what we had when the Star Wars Black Series came out, is you have this, uh, like, back in the 80s with the success of, you know, the original three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures, you had um, an initial run of G.I. Joe characters. And, of course, this... Yeah, conceptually, this was a whole new world for G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. This didn't exist. But they had, uh, basically, your out-of-the-gate line was 11 characters, very few of whom were character characters. Almost everybody was strictly in olive drab. Yes. And you had, like, Grunt. You did have Grunt. And Breaker. Breaker was cool though. He had bubble but Breaker, <laughs> but you essentially you had a very simple, but you know limited line. You had four vehicle drivers. Yeah, and you had a mail away Cobra Commander. I think yeah. even before we knew what that Cobra Commander had a little <laughs> Call it how many times I've told you this, but Cobra <laughs> Commander was not voiced by Mark Hamill. <laughs> not oh, everybody, is that a fact? Not that everybody's Mark is Hamill. Joker? <laughs> not everyone is Mark Hamill, Destro, uh, uh, Megatron. But you started out with some fairly nondescript characters. You had, I think, Rock and Roll had his bandoliers to distinguish him from everybody else. Uh, you know, Scarlet was kind of unique. Zap. No, Flash, not Zap. Flash, yeah. Zap, I think, came with uh, something else or came later. But, you know, the uh, Stalker was kind of like... The, oh, there hasn't your... been a Stalker either. Damn, yeah. okay. But that's 11 regular figures and a total of 16 figures in all. Right. In that in- initial release and in the initial... in that scale. That's what, 1982. When you get into the 6-inch scale... It gets a lot harder to – you're generally releasing maybe six characters at a time. Sure. So you're already half, roughly. Right. Your general waves. And then you know, how many releases are you prepared to do a year? Apparently a crap ton. <laughs> that is correct. In this case, and I applaud them that. But the problem is six at a time, you have in the first three years of G.I. Joe alone – you have over 35 or 40 characters. Right. And, you know, chances are you're not going to get a lot of vehicles in this line. Yeah, unless I, they're has-labbed up. Yeah, exactly. I think there's some that need to be done. But, you know, when you have that many characters in the first three years, it makes it hard. And then, uh, but, you know, that'll be a, a topic for another day. Right. But it, it does. I think there's a, an economy of scale there that 
that Star Wars becomes increasingly difficult, which is another topic for another day, is there are so darn many characters now. We are in character inflation, and absolutely every one of us who are Star Wars collectors, uh, my other show, The Rancor Pit, live on the first and third Sundays of every month on DallasOnAir.com from 9, uh, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central. Our last episode was Hey Hasbro. Yeah. Well, we talked about the characters we want to see uh, myself in both scales, uh, some in the three and three quarters, some in the six inch scale, and Eddie in the uh, six inch scale. And one of the things that, you know, the inevitable takeaway from that particular line is that there's so darn many movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. Everything that everybody wants to draw from there. It's no longer that easy to, you know, add just a fistful of characters here and there. Right. It would be wonderful if they'd stop remaking the same characters over and over and over. But I think there's still this feeling that they have to have a Luke or a Vader as the backbone of any given release. But, you know, any of these lines that have a long history and a, you know, uh, when are we going to get our six-inch scale Galobulus? <laughs> where's my mind bender, damn it? Where's, <laughs> where's my Dr. Mind bender? Where's my, uh, what was Boa? Was he the guy that came with the giant, like, I want him with his giant crocodile. Oh, that was uh, Crocmaster. That was, oh, dear Lord. What about Raptor? Wasn't he their lawyer? The guy that was in the raptor uh, outfit with the – I want him. He was like – oh, uh, I'm drawing a blank in, in the, the conciliary and uh, – Godfather? Godfather, yeah. He James Caan. So- <laughs> <laughs> I want – there are so many – but that's the thing is I'm not even asking for my figures because, you know, when we started talking about Marvel Legends back in the day, when we started making our own, like – like uh legends in our own mind the ones that we wanted to see which by the way we know hasbro listens so hi hasbro stop stealing our ideas we'll get into that later um we we didn't even touch on that until there were probably 15 to 20 waves of marvel legends out you know out on shelves before we even started talking about our own stuff so i'm not even getting into like Getting like rap, which by the way, now I really want a raptor. I really want bird lawyer, Cobra's bird lawyer. That's uh, right. I want a mind bender. I want you uh, know, bird brain. You're up. <laughs> I want all of those things, but I want a Tomax and Zaymot. You know, I want all of those. Tomax and Zaymot actually came up on the Isle of Toys. Hey, has where we did a double feature, and. Uh, my guest, Jason Dilworth, uh, I asked him to address three lines he collects, G.I. Joe, the uh, Power Rangers, and Marvel Legends. And Tomax and Zamot were among the ones we were talking about. Yeah, like, but I, when I talk about stuff like Doc and Stalker and even um, Rock and Roll, I, I really think that those deserve to come out within the first year, yes. year and a half. They, they, you know, that nostalgia or that, I think they in a, way, a weird way, earned the credit to be before the Red Ninja, you know? Yeah. Like, that's... But you now we did a whole episode on ninjas on this show, on not this show, but on the Hey Kids comics, so we know where ninjas lie in the public 
That's true. People will buy a ninja. I'm sure that that was the focus. I think it's fine. I'll let that one just sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna let that one just sink. Is that no. what you're gonna do? Um, I wanted to talk about when because I think you'll uh, you'll appreciate this when because I thought long and hard about when I dis, when it made the flip for me from being from being somebody who really liked toys and liked to have toys to where I started collecting toys to collect toys. Um, and it was in 95. Cole, do you remember what came out in 95? Oh, don't get me on the chronology. I... The, I mean, it was a pretty big one. It was a pretty big one because back then, remember, not so much now, but back then I was a, I was a, I was a huge collector of the Star Wars. Yeah. So 95 Powers of the Force came out. Okay. I, I, I was casting about in other directions because Star Wars would be too obvious for me. <laughs> no, no, that that's. I mean, we we have traveled the same road, even down to the point where when you and I met, we were both collecting the three and three quarter inch Marvel Universe line, and yeah. together decided to Thelma and Louise ourselves into the Marvel Legends six and three quarter inch line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just, indeed, because the, the, there was a ghastly ten year gap. From 85 to 95, where there was no Star Wars. Right. Nothing, no new toys anyway. So they released this line of what essentially were hyper-deformed <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> toys. Yes, I. there was this initial feeling that Kenner thought that people wanted Star Wars to take its cues from the Masters of the Universe. Right, right. And thank goodness they very quickly changed their attitude. Well, so up until that point, I was buying, I was still buying toys, not at a, not at the vigorous rate at which I do now, but I was buying toys and, um, and taking them out and putting them places. Keep in mind, 95, I was 16 or 17 years old, so I had, you know, toys everywhere in the comics and, and all that. Um, but, me and a friend of mine, Brian, were buying the um, – when they announced the Powers of the Force, we started buying the Powers of the Force. And he was a he was a keep-them-in-the-package kind of guy, and I've always been a let-them-breathe kind of guy. But we both bought Boba Fett's. Ah, yes. And um, we were comparing our Boba Fett's, and one of the Boba Fett's had half circles on his hand. Oh, yes. The other one had red circles on his, red full circles on his hand. And I was like, what the hell is that? Why, why would, you know, what's the, why would the, why are these different? Is it a misprint? What is it? <laughs> yes, the infamous half circle Boba Fett that one, at one time mattered. Yeah. And so oh, it's it so mattered. mattered. So, yes. Antique, uh, <laughs> antique controversy. That's right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's antique controversy. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing about it was uh, the Star Wars Power of the Force 2 line did double duty in that way because you would have the occasional running change like that that was all important. But the other all important, all just vital yep. scrutinized to no end is initially the releases were serialized. Yes. Yes, they were. So the initial run they had printed on the cards with numbers 0.00 and then later 
cards would say 0 0.01 or something like like 0, 0, 0 or 0, 0 and 0, 0, 0.001 or just 0, 0 and 0, 0.01. But at, at one point, Catherine and I had the opportunity to buy uh, cases, damaged cases of Star Wars figures. Okay. And, you know, maybe about half this, the case would be completely trash and the other half would be perfectly fine. And they, we would basically take the damaged cards and crack them open and sell those as loose figures and sell the carded figures as carded figures. And we were selling a ton of them because we got them so cheap, we would sell them cheap. Our loose figures weren't expensive. Our carded figures weren't expensive, especially in a toy show or comic show environment. And I remember somebody going through our little, like, $4, $5 bin of uh carded figures and, and rejecting the ones that were zero ones. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, you know, it's, it's not going to matter. Yeah. But it matters then. It's, yeah. And something similar was with playmates, uh, star Trek. Oh, really? The, the, the next generation was their first foray. Right. And again, Initially, they thought everybody wanted like weird. They, they thought people wanted the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of right, <laughs> right Star Trek. And little by little, they started to recognize what people really wanted and, and tone down the, the sculpts. Um, something that you know was a little more particular to the way these characters looked. And the undersides of their feet had a serial number, which mean, meant every. Excuse me. Ugh. Every single figure had a serial number on its foot that was unique to that figure. Imagine the quest of a collector to get every zero zero three two seven four figure out, and I guarantee a handful of those that number got opened. Oh sure, and were never out on the open market again. But that's that's when it happened for me. That's when I had to start looking actively for particular variants of figures. And, and in that line, you also had the both Luke and Darth Vader short saber versus long saber. So yes, yes, the saber lengths. Oh my god! Remember, yeah, yeah. And that's so. That's like, when I became grossly over long. Yes, that's when I became the rabid toy collector was with that line because the first line I had ever encountered with planned variants, you know, that wasn't like uh witch blade where you yeah. had the, the one in 1000, whatever, you know, whatever that you could only find at the comic shop anyway, you know? So, so I became, this is when it happened. Now I still don't keep them in packages. I still open them up, but, um, but it's a daily, if not every other daily occurrence that I'm looking for particular things now, you know, particular toys, particular variants, particular, um, particular figures. Um, <laughs> and, and it all started right then. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, damn it. I, re I can remember the moment in Brian's basement. Cause he had them up on the, like, like <laughs> hanging on the wall, like against the ceiling, like rounding the room, you know, and we were looking at his latest acquisitions and it absolutely, he got one of the, I think it was the half circle was the rare one. I can't remember. It was whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. He got that one. Uh, I did not the, have it. 
Yeah, because the, the full circle was probably easier to produce, but then at some point someone said, no, no, it's supposed to be a half circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, that began my madness. <laughs> so that's that's how we ended up where we are. And that brings in the you know the the variance the uh whether deliberate or accidental um you have the uh there's there's so many problematic aspects of this market becoming an adult collector market oh yes especially now that we have things like ebay and other so many venues to to sell uh we can all be resellers now yeah, and so many of us are. You know, yeah. You, go ahead. Oh no, you just you don't have to go to a con- a comic convention or a toy show and peddle your wares and spend a lot of money to be there and, and sit there frantically hoping uh, that you know you're going to sell. Uh, at one point, a friend of ours had uh, started had really got into some sports cards and was telling us about a place he found where you could walk in off the street and buy entire boxes of sports cards wholesale wholesale all right and we went in uh he also told us they had a, a tonnage of you know every kind of convenience store candy you could ever imagine <laughs> and we would go in and buy wholesale boxes of maybe four or five brands of candy bar and take them to these shows and that became a you know he was like why would anyone want to pay a dollar for whatever we were charging for a candy bar when they could go down to the store and buy it for less it's like who's going to leave the convention floor <laughs> right if you're cheaper than the vending machine you can be more expensive than the convenience store exactly so uh i think we're it was a, a period where you know this will date things a bit you could probably go down to the drugstore and pay 35 cents for a candy bar and we were charging 50 yeah and that, that was such a tremendous revenue stream that it helped make it possible to have a lean show because there were always hungry dealers <laughs> right <laughs> right you weren't even relying so much on the uh on on the patrons of the show as much as you were the dealers of exactly <laughs> in the show and very often we were selling so cheap that you know we were often the sweetheart of dealers who'd come buy us out of stuff uh, probably in part to you know, be like Roger Rabbit. They bought the red car to close it down. Uh, but the the point is that then in this day and age, you added uh, there, there's so many new elements and, and greed has set in. So there's people, you know, stealing parts and swapping them out. Uh. There's a lot of swap lifting or just downright taking the piece and running. Um, there, there's so many uh bad aspects to this so we're it's a double-edged sword and then what, what we often call the collection assassin uh and that is exclusivity and and you touched on that a bit with uh, target and gi joe but we just passed the first year without a comic con oh my god uh, yeah we had a blue summer without you well and, i mean uh, we did and we didn't because yeah it's it's it changed the weird. dynamic of of the their exclusives in the biggest way yet there there have been a lot of uh over the years a lot of the companies making exclusives have made them available if you weren't at san diego yeah but you know that said there's still a lot of um a lot of them that you can't get and then 
as Target quickly discovered, uh, there are now people employing bots to mm-hmm. purchase in mass, no matter what limit you put on. And some companies have been proactive and established algorithms that say, "Nope, you're a bot," and kick kick orders out. Right. It's it's tough, and it the the world we live in, much like every other aspect of our world um, right now, has changed the landscape of collecting and I think changed the mindset of collectors in a lot of really interesting, sometimes bad, sometimes good ways. You know, you, it, I, I feel like it's a good thing that you don't have to go to San Diego to get your exclusives necessarily. Like you said, they, they did start releasing more and more of them online that you could get later. Um, but you know, all of a sudden you had all of these exclusives up for grabs and I really think it probably started some kind of strange bidding war where Walmart said, you know what, we'll take your we'll take your uh, your your Mar- your Marvel exclusives, you know, yeah. we'll sell them in our stores. And uh, Target said, well, we'll take the G.I. Joe, you know, we'll take the D.C., we'll take the this, we'll take the that. And it started. The thing is, once that barn doors open, you can't get it closed. Exactly. It's not going back. Because Hasbro now realizes, Mattel now realizes, um, you know, Spin Mat, whoever it is, NECA, now realizes, oh, we've been sitting on a cash cow that we haven't cashed in on. Exactly. Now we can cash in on it. So, and I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing so many toy lines coming out and so many waves of existing toy lines are coming out. And, the, you know, the ramp up and tooling and is because they're like, this works. Yes, exactly, and the the store exclusivity as well allows another, uh, you know, by way of example, the to me the most shocking from the sense of who'd have thought Walgreens. Oh yeah, who would have thought Walgreens? But Walgreens is very shrewd in realizing we can carry toys and we can sell them and cram them on our shelves and have them sit there forever, but if we sell the right kinds of toys, they're gone. And they're getting more shrewd about or more informed about what to make an exclusive of. Yeah. So, you know, I can walk out the door right now and drive maybe a 10 mile radius and pick up the yellow and black daredevil, the Ant-Man, the uh, Medusa, <laughs> the Namor, uh, Namor. Yeah. All I get all four of those right now today. And they've been out for years. Yes. But, you know, to me, that was one of the most unusual yet at the same time brilliant maneuvers but at the same time um as you know i don't know that you've had to bother looking but on one day i went to two walgreens and found andy and i both a uh, moon knight yes but i've been reading recently that pre-orders on their website were being canceled mm-hmm. they were i checked into that last night and uh that a lot of uh folks just can't find them to save their life and in in both cases when i found them i found exactly one crammed way at the back of a bunch of old stuff yep well take the uh if we're talking about well walgreens take the stepford uh cuckoos situation i never saw them once and i you know the thing about walgreens is i have five walgreens within 20 minutes like you were saying i have five walgreens within 20 minutes of my house and i never saw those stepford cuckoos once 
at all. And I don't recall if I ever saw them myself because it wasn't something I personally wanted. And for some reason, I thought you didn't want it either. So I never really actively it. looked. One, yeah. is a strong, one is a strong one. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wasn't actively looking for them, but I'm not saying if I would have saw them, I wouldn't have bought them. Okay. So, you know, on the off chance, uh, there was a, a point of less than a year ago, I was driving around in an area and uh, hitting a few Walmarts, and I was finding, uh, every once in a while, to this day, you can still find Invisible Woman. Yeah. But I was finding Mr. Fantastic and Human Torch still on open shelves. Really? I doubt I could still do that. It's a, it's an interesting world we live in, Cole. I don't. Yes, indeed. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for this. I kind of think we're on a little bit of a bubble right now. We've seen absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yet at the same time, the adult collector market, and, and we're going to have to do a whole show just about the rise of that market. Nothing epitomizes the adult collector market like the what three for three for one. Um, so far, success of a little experiment by Hasbro called Haslab. Oh, yeah. Uh, perceived often as crowdsourced funding, which it isn't. It's more proof of concept. Yeah. Is there a market for an extremely high-end collectible in any given line? And they have hit three out of four times so far. Which one did they miss on? The $500 Java sale bar, which was a drum beaten repeatedly for many years uh, at Hasbro, was a, something that was never going to be done. There was zero market for it. That was, you know, grossly uh, <laughs> disproven. The the next one was the uh, is it Unicron. Yes. That we're told takes an out no takes an hour to transform yeah, it takes a full hour to fully transform <laughs> it's so complex um i'm not sure what the the dollar the price point on that one was initially their third up to bat was a life-size cookie mod okay based on the actual puppet it would have had the, the kind of eyes that cookie monsters had for the last hundred years the googly the, yeah, the, the kind of googly eye that somehow just sort of springs around underneath it, you know, on the on the surface of its big ping pong ball. Yes, and you know, it just they couldn't find that market. That's the one that missed. Yes. Yeah, and then of course the Sentinel, uh, they did what a lot of uh, crowdsource things do, and they're, they're activating levels they didn't tell you about. Uh huh. Initially, so the more people that are buying in, they just keep adding value, and I think the more they add that value, the more people become interested because they're like, "Oh, that's kind of cool," but three hundred dollars, like, "Oh, there's also a full six-inch figure with it." Well, that's maybe, "Oh, there's two six-inch figures," or "Oh, there's uh, and you know, damaged hands and head." Oh, there's this, you know, it's like it's getting to the point where, you know, I think had they done that with the sail barge. It would have uh, been even a bigger deal than it became, but you know, they're um, that to me says we fully recognize and embrace this phenomenon 
known as the adult collector market. Right. Right. Well, everybody's grown up. Everybody yeah. who wanted that stuff. And that's a show I want to do. We need to start thinking about wrapping this up, Cole. Yeah, but we do. We're that's coming sh- up on it. Yeah, we're coming up on it, Cole. Uh, let's start the show right, shall we? We're coming up on it, Cole. Um, one of the things I do want to talk about is everything old being new again, but looking exactly like it did when it was oh, old. Oh, yeah. So I do want to do some, I do want to do a show about that at some point with the He-Man figures and the Ghostbusters figures and the Star Wars figures and the doppelgangers. Yeah. And there's a, and the three and three quarter inch GI Joe line or the three, the three and a half inch GI Joe lines looking to be the same thing where, you know, really tugging on the nostalgic heartstrings with figures that using basically the same sculpts as the old one updated, but basically the same sculpts. So we'll talk about that too. Well, Cole, what do you think? Did we have a successful first show? I, I think we got this sucker off the ground, and we're going to be reaching our cruising altitude. And uh, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks with more fun toy stuff. And the main thing is we're going to take the approach that we uh, had from the outset with Hey Kids Comics. And we want to think about come at toys in the unique angles make you think about toys in unique new ways and kind of uh just explore what it is to be a toy collector yeah to explore what these toys are all about why do they have the impact on us and tackle subjects that aren't necessarily specific to the toy line so much as they are specific to what these toys mean to us and why do we yeah. continue to draw from this well from childhood into adulthood and you know they're gonna be like find me dead with a halfway open toy and i'm sure somebody's gonna say man it's a shame he got that far well it's sad when in your will, it would have been worth more than <laughs> in your will when when i have to make sure that uh that cole's included so that i'll be interred with uh with my toy collection or <laughs> Or uh, Cole and I will somehow get famous and uh, we'll do the vice president uh, or president thing where we have a library. But instead of a library, we have a museum that we have a mausoleum under where we're in the mausoleum. But up above (laughs) is just going to be our museum of toys. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, Cole, why don't you plug us up and uh, we'll get out of here and we'll see these people in a couple weeks uh, for our first official Big Bad episode of Isle of or Isle of Toys. You've had that already, all the toys. That's right, all the toys. Well, we are coming to you from the Jedi Cole universe at uh, JediCole.com, and uh, we're going to have, I'm going to establish a new email specific to the Jedi Cole universe uh, collection of shows, including Deep Elm on Air shows, just to uh, make things a little bit more concise and consolidated and where I'm not using it for a number of other things as well. Right. So uh, for now, um, if you are compelled to write in and, and just let us know how you, what you think of the show, uh, just write to jcumail at yahoo.com. But we're going to rectify that uh, pretty soon where we have uh, a little bit better uh, specific and unique uh, address to get people involved uh, with this and I'm going to try to get uh, a greater social media presence, but I'm not going to promise anything. Well, we'll start working on getting that stuff put together with, uh, with 
Instagram and Facebook and, you know, all of the things that we want to have representing this show. You know, this show is sort of a – it's a new thing for us. It kind of came out of left field. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, I think that, you know, we can work on building a community around this of like-minded toy collectors, and it can become something. So we're going to we're going to put all we're going to try to put all the puzzle pieces in place to make that happen. That sounds like the ideal uh, nature of the approach we're taking on this. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, why don't this is a different show, Cole. Why don't you take us out? Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on our inaugural episode. And we invite you to think out of the toy box with us here on all the toys in the coming weeks and months and and years ahead. All right. Say good night, Cole. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the first issue of all the toys.